0: You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. What we get to start off talking about today uh, because last Sunday I said, hey, we're going to share some numbers and share some things from uh, 2017, what God did. So if you're a first time guest, or first time in a long time, today's kind of a good day to kind of uh, hear a little bit about what God did. So I want to brag on God a little bit today. Is that all right with you guys? Are you guys loose today? Are you awake? Did you have your coffee and, and uh, you're a little loose? I, the worship was good. So you're 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 live. you ready to clap a little bit. Uh, we, we've got some things. OK, some of you are. Somebody over here is. Nobody over here was, but that's OK. We're going to wake up in just a minute. But uh, we we've got some exciting things, man, that God has done. And it's really hard to con- kind of condense one year's worth of how God has changed and shaped lives into about a five-minute, here are a couple of numbers, you know, to kind of celebrate. But I'm gonna to attempt to do that. Very ambitious day. We're gonna cover Acts 15 as well as, you know, talk about this as well. But uh, God's just really been blessing our church. He's really been blessing uh, our ministries. Uh, God is flourishing in so many different ways. And, and so just a few things to celebrate today, all right? So first, first of all, there are 150 People serving just in our kids' ministry today. Isn't that awesome? 150 different people serving in kids' ministry. Now, now they would say, that they, they would not say, hey, we have enough. You guys don't need to come in here. No, they wouldn't say that. Uh, they would love to have you, especially this time of year. A lot of visitors, a lot of kids are, are, are coming at this uh, point. But uh, that's more than we've ever had in our kids' ministry. And that just shows how many of you guys are investing in the lives. Of these children. So if you're passionate and and love kids, I encourage you to jump into that growing, exciting ministry. In our student ministry, a lot of things we could say about student ministry, but uh, I'll just boil it down to this 85 students accepted Christ this year in one year. That is incredible, man. Pastor Landon doing an incredible job. Love him, love his leadership. Young leader that God has just anointed and blessed. And so I'm just uh, loving working and serving alongside of him. Uh, it's, a, it's a great thing. In our missions area, we took three mission trips this year, two to London, one to in India, uh, training pastors, planting uh, churches there in India. And so uh, this year, same thing, uh, same two areas. If you guys are interested in, in jumping on one of those teams, uh, you can visit our, our website and start getting uh, connected to that we love foreign missions we love going overseas and partnering in those strategic areas we also uh, for the last several years we've been doing this and and uh, this year no different but we're feeding 150 kids every single month uh, in a local school who are, uh, don't, don't have quite the opportunity to have a nutritious meal over the weekend. And so we partner uh, with an organization in town and uh, we pack those those bags and, and give that food uh, to those kids. Great touch, great ministry. Uh, one of the new things that we did as a church is is that we partnered uh, 11 different classrooms at Rockford Elementary with a small group at our church. So what that means is a small group adopts a classroom, adopts those kids, adopts that teacher for resources, prayer, community community love. Anything they can do to equip and help assist that classroom, they do. So if that's a party for one of the kids, if it's a party, hey, they all did well on whatever, and the teacher says, hey, I need some food, or I need this, then they do that. And, and uh, just a great touch, a great uh, practical way to show love and, and to show the love of Christ in our community. If your small group is interested in that, let us know, and we can help you get there. Uh, over 50 people were personally one-on-one counseled this year through our ministries, which is phenomenal. And so uh, th- this is a really growing and needed area. And so you hear me talk about long-term goals of, of building a counseling center and, and having staff for that. And, and uh, we're, we're building on that momentum. And, and uh, I believe that that's going to be a ministry that we as a church have in, in, in uh, years uh, to come. But excited about how God is, is using it now. Let's Go Week. Uh, this past year was another great week of, of just ministry and service to our community. Uh, over 200 volunteers served in 36 different projects. Again, this is a way that we tangibly connect the love of Christ with the hands and feet of Jesus uh, to our community. So we were serving organizations, whether it be landscaping or whatever uh, uh, the materials they needed or whatever. We, we, we served those uh, organizations, and we're going to do that again this spring. But uh, what, what's awesome about that is it starts so many new relationships so what's a one day ministry project ends up being a relationship that we flourish and grow in the days ahead. And so that's a great practical way for us to love our community We also, in the area of our small group ministry, added 150 new people to small groups this year. And so that was a a phenomenal jump. And so that has been something that's really been exciting for us. And I know there's a lot of you that that still need to get connected. But uh, uh, we're just proud of so many of you connecting. Next Sunday is a great way for you to do that uh, in the cafe. And and as we told you last week, cafe is is, is getting ready to go under some construction. So next Sunday is the last time we're going to get to use that room. So no bagels next week and know all that good stuff. Bre, eat your own breakfast, man. I'm, I can't do it for you. You know, you're a grown man. So, um, you, you know, that's going to happen next week. So in that room, we're going to have our small group connect. Cold, we usually do it outside, but it's too cold for that. So um, it's going to be a great day to connect in small groups. And so I'm, I'm really proud and, and, and really excited to have Pastor Todd here on staff, leading missions, leading small groups. His, uh, just his experience and, and just his maturity and wealth of knowledge has just been a huge blessing for our church. And so I know you guys have experienced that uh, just in the short year that he has been with us. Uh, serving in ministry has been really, really uh, encouraging for us. So I'm to brag on you guys for a minute, but... You know, a lot of people think, hey, we just show up for church, right? Trent preaches, James leads music, and that's pretty much it. But uh, we, we calculated how many volunteers it takes to make Sunday happen. And somewhere between 250 and 275 people are needed, are required to make Sunday happen here in three services at FC. and so uh, and, and that's happening. And so... Man, just brag on you guys for, for joining the mission, serving in some capacity, whether it's family or hospitality outside. Hey, a little round of applause for the guys outside today. I mean, woo! Chilly out there, but... Praise God! They're here early, setting up, and 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 so over 250 people every single week committed to make this an environment where people can meet Jesus, and so that's pretty exciting, encouraging uh, for me as your pastor. So I know it takes leadership, like from from Kristen, uh, from Angela, from Landon, from all of these guys that that are leading you in these different ministries, and they are doing a really, really great job. Great team great uh, a group of, of leaders that are taking us to the next level and and uh, when, when it comes to giving, uh, our giving has gone up this year we We actually went over two million dollars for the first time in our giving, which is a great thing, and you guys have heard me say this, but our vision set by our our elders is is, is kind of always not kind of Always dependent upon the commitment of our people, the involvement of our people. In other words, we set the vision, here's the direction that we're going as a church, and then it's up to you guys uh, to determine the speed of that. Like, how fast are we going to do this? How fast are we going to grow in that area? And how fast are we going to do that? Based on how you guys give, that's the speed of our vision. We can't outpace uh, your, your level of commitment. And so no matter how many great ideas we have, our capacity is only here. And so uh, you, you guys understand that. And, and so our giving has grown this year. It's gone, grown by about 8%, which is a good thing. Um, and so I'm excited ab- about that. So praise God, he's been working in uh, a lot of people's hearts as they've joined our church and, and are committed to financially give. And, and then uh, our attendance has grown as well by 15%. And so over three services, you know, our, our averaging attendance is way up. And, and so that's, that, that's great. It's not like 50%, oh, we can't handle it, there's too many new people. And it's not like, oh, man, there's not enough growth. It's been like a healthy growth. And and, uh, we've been excited to see how God has blessed us in that area. And and then this number is a number that uh, supersedes all numbers in our history. So this has been the most fruitful season in the entire history of our church. And and, uh, we were able to baptize 115 people this year. And so I praise God for that. I mean, that's life change. And uh, that's not just a, hey, I made a decision. Hey, that's me making a decision. I'm taking my next step of faith. And so uh, very encouraging. Uh, God has just been blessing, and, and, and I could go on and on and on and on. And so, you know, I don't spend a whole sermon talking about it today because we kind of pepper uh, that into every service, uh, stories of life change and, and what God is doing. And so I think you guys are aware of that. Obviously, this year has been a big year as far as the building and uh, a lot of uh, attention and a lot of focus on the building and and uh, making that uh, an incredible space for you and you know I couldn't do it without Pastor James and his his leadership in that area and, and really helping me carry that burden of picking out stuff and we've got a whole team that does this but but his leadership has been uh, uh, just pivotal it's been, it's been life changing for me and and uh, so blessed by by what he's been able to do and, you know, as far as personally, I always come to a new year. I taught this a couple of years ago, but I hope you guys still remember this. But every year I, I, I rally around one word to kind of be my theme for the rest of the year. And uh, so I pray about that. I, I, I study, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to other people. And, and the word that, that God really has just been resonating in my heart and really been challenging me with is the word focus. And uh, I know that as our church grows and as we take this step, you know, next door, just like in your organization, as it grows and, and uh, as, as things develop, you've got to change as a leader. You can't stay the same. Uh, you, you've got to constantly change and grow in order to, to lead your organization, to lead your family, and for me to lead this church uh, in a healthy way. And, and so, like, for me, it's all about health. You know, it's not like a certain number. I'm not a big hey. We have got to hit this number to be successful or whatever. I'm 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 about health, and I want to be healthy. And so, um, you know, I'm I'm I'm. I'm I'm really just being challenged by God right now on, on on being a healthy leader and and how do I do that this year? So the word focus has just been implanted and and you guys get this because you go through it too. But for me it's a it's a phone call here it's a it's an email here it's hey somebody needs counseled hey somebody's there's there's a little fire over here you got to put out and, and then there's a the staff issue over here you got to put out and and then oh yeah you gotta you gotta preach a sermon this week and so you got this and you gotta you gotta work on that and, oh yeah Easter's coming and that's gotta be you know. so it's constantly something you know. Sunday's always coming, and there's so many needs. And, and, and the tendency, you know, for me is to go, Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, we're, uh, you know, and so it's like covering all these things. And, and uh, as we have grown, like when we were running 500, it was easy to spend that plate and this plate and this place and this place. So now, as we're like well over a thousand, thirteen, fourteen hundred people, it's like, I can't spend that many plates. And so my leadership is being challenged, and, and uh, God's just call me to, to focus. And, and really in three areas is really kind of what I've narrowed it down to. Like at the end of my time in ministry, hopefully in many, 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 many years, 30, 40, 50, 60, let's just say 100 years from now, I'll be ending. And um, when I end, there are three things that I want to happen for me. At the end of that career, I'll, I want my wife to still love me. <laughs> There's a lot of guys in leadership, especially in churches, that, that put uh, their ministry ahead of their, their spouse. And so I'm, I'm managing that tension of, in, in those seasons of, of ministry, how to do that well. But I wanted to love me at the, at the end of this career. I, I want my kids to love the church. I have way too many friends and I've seen way too many uh, pastor's kids grow up in church and see how the church treats their dad and their mom and, 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 and they grow up hating church. And so praise God, right now my kids love church and they love coming here. And, and uh, over the next several years, I, I hope that continues, and, and that's a goal for me. And, and then finally, I, I want to be, uh, be faithful to the vision, the vision of making disciples. And, and so th- those are my three areas of focus. And so how, how do I do that and lead in a healthy way? Well, practically for me, that means I, I, I have a coach in my life, and he's a pastor. He's a leader of leaders. He's not in this church, and, and um, he, he coaches me on a regular basis. And, and then I have a pastor that pastors me. And uh, this is somebody that shepherds me and shepherds my heart and shepherds my family, Make sure I'm doing what I need to do personally. And, and uh, I think we all as leaders need that accountability in our life. And if, of course, I have the elders in my life as well who, who are shepherding and watching and caring for and, and leading alongside of me. But um, I'm excited about what, is, what God has done. But I can't really contain the, the the joy that I have when I think about 2018 and 19 and the and the coming days. I believe God has his hand on this church. I believe he has his hand upon the ministries here. And, and this isn't anything that I've created or, or whatever, but for whatever reasons, the anointing of God is upon this place. And um and, and I'm excited just to just to continue to see his, his work. And I do know this, as we grow, as, as more people come, as we continue to, to, to move in this direction, there will be moments where we will have differences of opinions. There's going to be disagreements amongst you guys, amongst me, and other people. And disagreements just happen in the church, right? I mean, it's just part of the nature of people because we all have opinions. We all have things that we want to do. And so the question today is, So what do we do and what does it look like when we have these disagreements? So what does healthy debate look like and and, and what does moving forward in unity look like as a church? Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 15 because that's exactly the the answer that we're going to get today from Acts 15. We've been going through the book of Acts and our theme uh, for this section of the book is No Place Left Paul said, there is no place left for me to share the gospel. Uh, We've reached everybody. We've shared it with everybody. And so our heartbeat right now, as we uh, move towards the opening of this facility in March, uh, on the 25th of March, mark your calendars, is how do we communicate to our entire community the gospel? How do we we reach our entire community right now over the next 10, 11, 12 weeks that what God is doing here, and this is Jesus, here's the gospel. How are we gonna do that? Well, uh, we've got a lot of things in store Mark your calendars for January 28th. It's it's actually coming upon us pretty quickly, but on the 28th, we're gonna gather in here and we're gonna share a plan with you that we think is gonna help us reach as many people in this community as we possibly can so that we could say, hey, there's no place left. Everybody knows about the building. Everybody knows the gospel. Everybody knows. And so there's going to be prayer walks and how to share the gospel and, and all kinds of uh, promotional things that we want to do uh, as a church. So I hope that you'll join me for that and you'll join our training on that day. But uh, as, we, as we look at this, we're going to see the early church uh, go through some dissension And they're going to go through some debate. And so let's look at chapter 15, verse 1. Here's what he says. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate, in other words, there was a huge debate on this. It was not a small dissension. It was not a small debate. It was a huge debate. With them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. We've got to take this to the elders in the Jerusalem church. We've got to figure this thing out. Too much dissension over this issue. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversation of the Gentiles. So the dissension here, the argument was, okay, in order to be a Christian, in order to inherit eternal life, you had to have faith in Jesus, and you had to be circumcised, and you had to follow the law of Moses. Now, religious people, we have a tendency to make a list of rules, you know, in order to be holy— you know, this is part of, of our nature that we have to fight. Like, okay, you're a follower of Christ. Okay, now to be holy, you have to do this, you have to do that, you have to do this, you have to do that. And if you don't follow this list and you don't follow these rules, then you're not really a good Christian. You know, and so a lot of churches, they focus on the do's and the don'ts and, it, and, it, and the check a box. It's called legalism, and, and legalism is very dangerous. Legalism is, is, is built out of fear and guilt. And so we use fear and guilt to keep our kids in line. If you really love Jesus, then you would do this and do that. You know, and so they, they're raised in, in thinking that God is always going to be angry with me unless I check off the right boxes. And if I don't check the right boxes, then God's mad at me. Then what's the point in going to church? What's the point of this whole thing anyway? It's, so it's very damaging. And this is, this is the reality that the early church is experiencing. Okay, it's faith in Jesus plus something. And we have a tendency to do that as well. I mean, the Catholic Church has, has done that uh, uh, for, for centuries now. The Catholic Church says, yes, faith in Jesus, but you also not, not only read the Bible, but read all these other books and all these other traditions, and you've got to follow what they say as well. You know, you've got you've to get baptized as a baby to really, you know, please God. You've got to have the sacraments to really please God. You've got to pray to Mary to re- really please God. And I could go on and on and on about all the rules that the Catholic Church says, hey, faith in Jesus and all of this other stuff. That is a false gospel, very false damaging. That's why we had the Protestant Reformation. Praise God for that. And we, we broke away from that mentality. But churches who call themselves evangelicals also teach similar things. And for instance, some churches believe you got to have faith in Jesus and you have to speak in tongues. So you have faith in Jesus, but you don't get the real blessing until you speak in tongues. Folks, that's a false gospel. There are some people that would say uh, the Christian church believes this, um, baptismal regeneration. And so that's the belief that you have to have faith in Christ plus be baptized in order to be uh, a Christian and in, 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 in inherit eternal life. And so it's faith and baptism. You know, and, and the reality is we, we're seeing this all through Acts. Like, like we see people come to know faith, uh, come to know Christ, and then they're baptized, yes, as a first step of obedience. It's not a requirement. On and on and on we see in the New Testament it is faith in Christ alone that allows us to have a relationship with Christ in the hope of eternal life. It's not faith in baptism. That's why we don't baptize babies here. That's why we teach that baptism is your first step of obedience. It's an outward public demonstration that you've made an inward commitment to follow Christ, but it does not save you any more. Uh, a lot of churches will teach you that, yeah, you got to have faith in Jesus, and then you've got to, you know, the men have to wear pants, and, and the girls have to wear skirts, and, and you, you have to have, you know, girls can't cut their hair, and, and uh, you can't watch rated R movies, and well, unless it's the Passion of the Christ, and that's okay. And then uh, you, you, can, you can't drink, you can't smoke. And if you do any of those things on the list, of, of the don't list, then you, you're, you're going to potentially lose your salvation, and so you're raised in this fear and guilt and legalism that, man, I got to live a certain way. And if I don't live a certain way, then I might lose my salvation. And I don't, I don't, I don't, you know, and the, and the anxiety that that causes. And that is a false gospel. And so we see here the same situation and idea of having faith in Jesus, plus the law of Moses, plus you got to be circumcised, these things. Larry Osborne, a, a pastor and author, he wrote a book called Accidental Pharisee. And good book. He he explains how we don't intentionally want to become a Pharisee. We don't intentionally do this, but but out of a motive to be holy or to be passionate about something, we we tend to lean that way. And so, his explanation is that uh, a lot of Christians they will get locked in on a certain issue. And so they'll become very passionate about prison ministry or evangelism or orphan care or small group ministry or you name whatever ministry. And they get really passionate about that one lane. And then they begin to notice that people around them aren't as passionate about that one lane as they are. And then all of a sudden, arrogance and pride starts to build up in their life and say, no, they're not excited about what I'm excited. They don't care about this situation. They don't care about this. Like, I care about this. I'm the only one that cares about this. And everybody else, you pathetic losers, don't care about feeding homeless people or orphan care, whatever, you know. And, And so their calling becomes your calling, right? And so that's an accidental Pharisee. What that does is it creates pride an ego in your life as if you're the one that's doing the, the, the right thing and the, and the holy thing and, 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 and everybody else is, is at the wayside. They're not quite as good. Osborne says, if you continue further down that path of contempt for those who fail to keep up, you'll end up in a place of arrogance. Fewer and fewer people will measure up to your definition of genuine of a genuine disciple. Eventually, listen to this, being right will become more important than being kind gracious, and loving. My fear is that there are a lot of Christians that fall into this pharisaical belief that following Jesus is faith in him plus this whole list of other things. And I think we see this legalism evidently has crept into the early church. So what do they do? Difference of opinion. We've got an argument. Let's debate it. Let's talk about it. How do we handle it? Here's what they do. Verse 6 The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. So the leaders of the church come together to discuss how are we going to handle this, which is a great biblical principle. We we gather together to to deal with the situation. Verse 7, and then after there had been much debate, they talked about it for a really long time, they debated the issue, Peter stood up and he said, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them. See, God knows the heart. We're focused on external. How does it look? Are you checking the boxes? No, he says God looks at the heart. And he bore witness to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by what? Say it. Having cleansed their heart by what? Faith. Faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent. Paul, uh, Peter reminds them of what we went through, Acts chapter 10, where he took the gospel to the Gentiles. First time it had happened, right? You remember the vision that he had, Bacon Sunday, right? Remember we talked about it? And, and, And so he shared the gospel. They put their faith in Christ, and the Holy Spirit came upon even the Gentiles, declaring to the early church, all the apostles and leaders, that the gospel has no distinctions, no respecter of person. In other words, doesn't matter if you're white or black, European, American, South American, doesn't matter. The gospel is for all people. And so this was a life-changing thing. So, so so how how do we deal with this though? This is this is a distinction now. I mean, we've got to have faith in Jesus, nothing else. Peter stands up, speaks, everybody else, everybody else is quiet. That's happened. You've been arguing, and then somebody says something profound and, and everybody shuts up. That's what happened. And then after Peter speaks, Paul speaks. Look at verse 12 again. All the assembly fell silent. They listened to Barnabas and Paul. Now Barnabas and Paul are talking about the signs and the wonders that God had done among the Gentiles through them. And so at this point, he's saying, look, it's not a three-point sermon. I'm not trying to convince you. I'm just saying this is what God did, signs and wonders. Here are the miracles that God did in the Gentiles. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit was given to the Gentiles just like he was given to us. And then after they had finished, verse 13, speaking, James replied. Now, James is the brother of Jesus. He's the elder of the Jerusalem church. He's the lead pastor. He's the lead elder of the Jerusalem church. And he said, brothers, listen to me. Simon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. So what Peter, I mean, sorry, what James does now is he goes back to an Old Testament prophecy, Amos chapter nine. You can go and look at it. But Amos 9 is what he quotes here, and he says this in verse 16. He says, After this I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who make these things known from, of, old. What he's saying here is he's relating this Old Testament prophecy to their day right now. And he's saying, this is a fulfillment. He says, "Uh, after this, I will return. And he's saying, God has returned. God has showed up yet again in Jesus. So Jesus has come. God's return. He's showing us his grace through his son, the Messiah. This Jesus has come. And then he says, I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. So the Jewish nation as a whole had fallen, he says. And and so now, he says, Jesus, the Messiah, has come to rebuild the nation of the Jews through the gift of salvation through the cross and resurrection of Jesus. And then he says, I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it. I'll rebuild, and I will restore that which has been ruined. You see, this is God's plan from the foundation of the world for you and me. His plan is to rebuild and restore that which has been ruined. And some of you can relate really well to this. 2017, you ruined some things. Maybe early on in life when you were a teenager in college, you ruined some things, you you ruined a relationship, you ruined a marriage, you ruined a business, you ruined your finances, you ruined something. And can I tell you, every single one of us in this room, our soul was ruined by our mark of sin in our life. This sin that we were born with has tainted our entire life and our soul. And the reality of that sin in our life is that we deserve God's punishment. We deserve God's God's wrath. But Jesus was sent to rebuild and restore that which was ruined. And so he lives a perfect life, dies on the cross, taking your punishment and my punishment, dies three three days later. He is raised from the grave, defeating sin, defeating death. And he says, put your faith and trust in me. You will inherit the kingdom of God and you will live life to the fullest. Live your life for me and you will experience purpose and joy and a future home in heaven. You see, some of you, as we hit 18 now, still look at 17 and 16 and 15, you remember what you ruined. You remember what you messed up. And we don't serve a God that calls us to look back at what we, ruin, what we ruined and, and what we messed up. We serve a God who is busy rebuilding and restoring you. Isn't that great news? Like God wants to rebuild you. He wants to restore you in 2018. He's not calling you to live with a heavy heart of guilt and shame from your past life. No, in Christ, you are a new creation. And so we live in that new identity, understanding and trusting that God wants to rebuild you. He wants to restore you. That means that your relationships, your finances, your business, your, your relationships, your marriage, your fi- all those things have hope today because God is rebuilding you. He's restoring all the stuff that we screw up. And so there's hope that this year is going to be better than last year because I don't serve a God of guilt and shame. I serve a God that rebuilds and restores. Is that good? That's that's good. Praise God for that. And this is what James is saying, is actually applying right here, right now. And he says that there's a remnant of mankind that's going to seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name are going to seek the Lord. See, God, what he's talking about here is world missions. We always think that in the New Testament is about missions. The Old Testament is not about missions. Well, this is God's plan from of old. It says that the King James uh, translation says from the beginning of time, this was God's plan to redeem a remnant, a group of people. And so he's calling us right now, our purpose is now to share this gospel with a lost world because some of them are seeking the Lord and some of them will be rebuilt and restored by the grace of Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're about. That's what we do. And so what happens next? Verse 19, therefore, my judgment is is, is this. Now this is good. He says, here's my judgment. After we've debated this, it's been a while, we've talked about it. Here's my judgment. We should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. In other words, we, we shouldn't trouble the Gentiles with all of these rituals like circumcision and following the laws of Moses. We don't need to do that. Peter, we already said, said, hey, we couldn't do it. Why would we want to put that, that which we couldn't do on, on someone else? Why would we burden them with, with, with all of these to-dos and all of these tasks and all of these things that, hey, we couldn't do either? Sounds like Sounds like some churches, doesn't it? We can't do it, but I'm going to preach that you guys better do it. Oh, well, that's, that's pharisaical. That's hypocritical, right? And this is happening all the time. We, we become accidental Pharisees. This is what's happening here. James says we're not going to do it. We're, we're not going to create a list for them with all of these rituals. We're not going to burden them with this. But here's what's interesting. Look, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. Does that confuse anybody else in the house? Did you read this before you came today? I hope so. Like, no rituals for the Gentiles. Follow these rituals. <laughs> That's confusing, right? You, you catch that, right? Like, what is he saying? Like, you, you, we're not gonna put all these laws and circumcision, all this kind of stuff. We're, no rituals, follow these rituals. Very confusing. So what's happening here? Some, something really big is happening. We, we don't wanna miss it today, but it, it, the, the Gentiles here are, are, are saying, look, no unnecessary obstacles with, uh, w- with the law and with these rituals. We shouldn't burden them with this, but here are four burdens that we wanna give to them. I, can't, I don't know, what is James? He's like, here, no, he's there. It's like when you go out to eat with your wife and you're like, she's like, I don't care where we eat. And you say, okay, let's go here. And she goes, I don't want to go there. You know, it's like, what do you, what? You just said you didn't care. Now you care. This is kind of what's happening here with, with, with James. He says, don't eat food that's been offered to idols. That's a ritual law. He says to abstain from sexual immorality. Well, that's a moral law. He says abstain from blood. This was a food law. No medium rare steaks. Everything's got to be well done. He says, don't eat meat by that has been strangled. No animals that have been strangled. Why? Ritual law. Had to, had to get rid of all the blood in the animal before you uh, were able to eat it and process it. This was a ritual law. Why would he say no rituals, no burdens, and then give them rituals to follow? Well, you gotta remember that a Jewish Christian, he wouldn't have stopped being Jewish. He, his culture, his race was still Jewish. And and these rituals that he mentions here would have been very offensive to a Jew at that point. And so a Gentile Christian, a Jewish Christian, they are now brothers and sisters. Now they are eyeball to eyeball. They're eating dinner together. They're interacting together. They're serving together. But how could they have true fellowship with one another if a Jewish Christian is looking at a Gentile Christian who's eating bacon and thinking, this dude is defiling me. I can't hang out with him. He's eating bacon. He's got a medium rare steak. What is going on, you know? And so this was an issue. Now, this was a very unique and special time in the life of the church. And so these four statements is what's called the uh, this, this apostolic decree here is, is given to the early Christians to follow. But why? Why would this be an issue? This isn't a salvation issue. He's not saying have faith in Jesus and, uh, you know, abstain from animals that have been strangled as a way of salvation what he's saying here what it all boils down to is how are we going to have fellowship with each other how are we going to be able to interact with each other and for the sake of fellowship the gentiles are told to follow these four things why well because what's at stake here is division And and, and so this is a beautiful picture of what it means to be the church, how how we can have fellowship together with all of these different opinions. And so it all boils down to what are you going to honor? What are you going to honor? And here's what I know. If you honor the right things, the right things will be done. If you honor the right things in your life, the right things will, will be done. The right decisions will be made in your life. And so what do we see them honoring here? Well, let me explain it by, 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 by sharing this. So, so we are a covenant community as a church. We're a covenant community. We're not a contractual community. A contract says, you do this, this, and this, and then if you do that and fulfill the contract, then I will do this, that, that, this, that, and this, right? And, and so that's a contract. A covenant says, I willingly lay down my rights so that you can flourish, so that you are blessed so that your needs are met. And this is what the early Gentile Christians are asked to do. Hey, look, we know, and Paul talks about this in Galatians and 1 Corinthians 8, Romans 15, 13. He says, look, you can eat animals that have been offered as a sacrifice to another God. It's not gonna like cause you to not be holy or whatever. But the Jewish buddies over here think that it's wrong. And so would you give up your right so that you could have fellowship with them so, so that you can honor that relationship there. And so that's what they're being asked to do. Now, we experience this here because we're a covenant community. Let me, let me explain it as a, your, your marriage, okay? Your marriage is a covenant relationship. So, so when you get married, it's till death do us part, you know, through richer and poorer, sickness, health, you know, in the good times and in the bad times. This is what a covenant looks like. I'm, I'm making a covenant with you with God, that I'm going to be married to you for the rest of my life until death do us part. But culture looks at that covenant as a contract. She didn't do this and this, so man, I had the right, you know. We are in a covenant community as a church. And so here's how this practically works out. This past summer, we did a uh, Count on Me series, and we told all of our partners, we want you to repartner. Didn't have to repartner, right, in order to inherit eternal life, right, but you, when you made a covenant with our church, you said that you were going to submit to the authority of the elders. The elders asked you to do something. And so you humbly gave up your right to repartner and, and, and to re-envision the commitments that you have for this church. And so you did that. Many of you did that. That was a good thing. That was you giving up a right so that you could honor fellowship in our church. Uh, another area is, is just with alcohol. Um and that's a big issue and I know a lot some of you guys drink and some of you guys don't a lot of it's how you were raised, but when we look at the uh, the scripture, like I can't faithfully teach that the scripture forbids drinking alcohol. it just it's just not there. Uh, now it does forbid underage drinking because our Our government says 21 is the limit, and in Romans 13, he tells us that we've got to obey the governing authorities in our life, and so obviously that's sin. The Bible does forbid drunkenness, and so that's clear throughout Scripture. The other way that God forbids drinking is if it offends a brother or if it's actually a stumbling block for another and so, so, so these are the three areas that we've got to focus on. Like you, you might have a strong stance that alcohol is sin and it's wrong. And we look at the Bible. We can't say necessarily it forbids it. You might have a good case that it's not a wise thing to do, uh, right? And so how do, we, how, do we, how do we embrace it? How do we handle it? Well, I think this is a good example. Uh, the Bible teaches us here in Romans chapter 14. Paul says this, speaking about all of the things that are happening in this early church, he writes about it, you know, to the church in Rome. And he says, look, do not forsake, uh, do not for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. In other words, if you, you can eat whatever you want to eat, man, but if somebody thinks that eating you know, a steak that's been offered to a pagan god is wrong in his presence, You've got to recognize that distinction. And for the sake of fellowship as a covenant community, we give up our right to eat that steak and we say, you know what? I'll pass, I'll have the fish. Right? That's what he's saying. That's an example. He goes on, verse 21. He says, It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. So, so there's your, your case to really kind of think through, you know, uh, the, the lens of a covenant community and how we handle the issue of alcohol. The faith that you have, he says, keep between yourself and God blesses the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. And so if, if you go out with a friend who thinks that drinking is a sin for the sake of fellowship, you give up a right to honor that relationship. Does that make sense? And that's what it looks like to be in a covenant. And so you, you make decisions and you have convictions uh, as it relates to how that fleshes out in your life. And there's not a, a, a list of check boxes that you make everybody else feel. This is your conviction. But at the end of the day, if it's going to cause a brother to stumble, if it's going to cause a younger generation to stumble, then I've got to interact in a different way, in a mature way, as it fleshes out in my life. Does that make sense? And so that's what it looks like as you grow and become a mature follower of Christ, and, 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 and you begin to make decisions based upon what you honor in your life. And so they want to honor this relationship. They want to honor other people, these, these Jewish Christians who have some issues. So here's why they, they follow these four rituals. Now, as I've said, if we honor the right thing, the right thing is done. So what are they honoring here? The first thing that they're honoring is the gospel. So you've got to honor the gospel personally. Is the gospel what leads you to make decisions? Is the gospel your focus in that argument? With the dissension that you're experiencing, the negativity and the criticism that you're experiencing, whatever environment you are in, is the gospel the central theme, or are you honoring your personal preference, your personal needs, the preference of somebody that you really care for, or is it really a gospel issue And I think if we are a covenant community that puts the gospel at the center of our decisions, if that is what we choose to honor, then we can begin to make decisions that are wise and right around us. As our church grows, we're constantly tempted to add layers of complexity to our church. We we like to be a simple church and focus on a, a, a central theme as to how we make disciples and reach our community. As new people come, they want to start stuff, and they want to they want to start ministries. And we got to add this layer, and we want to do this ministry, we want to add this ministry. And and before you know it, if, if we started everything that everybody wanted to start, we've had we, we've had the we've had this huge, big, you know, very complex organization. And then uh, the wrong leaders are in place, and then things crumble and it gets messy. And so, how do we make decisions? What new ministries do we start? Well, at the end of the day, is the gospel the central focus? Is it going to is it actually going to help us make disciples? Are we going to see people come to know Christ? Are we going to see people matured and, and, and grow in their faith? And and how are we going to lead that and resource that? Those are the questions we ask, but the gospel is the central focus. And your marriage today, the issues that you guys are having, uh, you're, you're not really fighting about money or sex. You're not really fighting about, you know, uh, work. What's at stake in your heart of hearts is are you going to honor the gospel? That's the, that's the, that's the, the, the way down deep issue right now. Are you going to honor the gospel and, and the covenant that you have made? You get that right, and then everything else becomes an easier decision. The second thing that they honor here is they honor the gift of fellowship. And so this is critical in the life of a church, like honoring the gift of fellowship. It is, it is, a, it is very unique to be a part of a church that is unified. It's a, it's a, it's a blessing of God. It's it's a blessing to be in a relationship with another believer that actually sharpens you and helps you grow and encourages you in your faith. These are things that that are are very rare, even even in a a good church. But but as we sense that and as we pursue that, we want to honor the gift of fellowship. And so if, if it is offensive, then I am in the practice of, and we must be in the practice of denying what we want so that, someone else's life is benefited. It's basically following what Jesus says, right? I mean, he tells us to love our enemies, to bless those who curse you, to do good to them that hate you. And whoever wants to be first must be servant of all. He says, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. You see, when everybody begins to honor the gospel, begins to honor the gift of fellowship, we tend to do things that are right around us. And so maybe some of you have, are, are realizing that some of the tension in your life is as a result of selfishness, it's a result of what you want, and it's not a result of a heart that honors the gospel and a heart that honors the gift of fellowship. And I would say as we continue to grow as a church, we're gonna have to revisit this gospel, we're gonna have to revisit this gift of fellowship on a daily basis for us to be able to grow and meet needs. What we see here, if you continue to read, they, they give the list, uh, they, they read the letter to the church in Antioch, they all rejoice, they're all pumped up, they're all excited, uh, and the church continues to flourish, the church continues to grow. And, and that is the result of a unified church around the gospel and around honoring the gift of friendship. Let's pray together. Father, this stuff is, is just, uh, it's great. And at the same time, it's just hard to practically you know, walk out in our, in our life. And so Lord, we need the grace to understand our areas of weakness, to understand our areas of sin in our life, and uh, Lord, we want to we seek to honor you, and we want that to be the central focus of our heartbeat today, that we would honor the gospel, we would honor the gift of, of fellowship around us, and that would be our, our unifying call, that we would not dishonor you, we would not dishonor someone else by what we would say or how we would treat them or how we would interact with them, but but God, that you would be the central focus. And so give us that grace, encourage us, bless us, unify this church, help us to see even greater things happen in the years ahead as we continue to pursue a right relationship with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.